guys. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. We are uh, our second week into our new sermon series on Philippians, and the theme is joy in the journey, and just to be clear, I did not come up with that phrase. Many of you probably remember back in the day, uh, Michael Card has a song entitled Joy in the Journey, but uh, I thought it really encompassed our uh, study in the book of Philippians. We're planning to look at this uh, small letter, only 104 verses for the next uh, 11 or 12 weeks. We'll plan to look at Philippians through uh, Easter. And so this morning we find ourselves in the first chapter still getting started. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse... I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The Bible says of itself that the grass withers, the flower fades, and the Word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time together. We thank You for the privilege to worship You. We pray that You would open our hearts and our minds to understand and see wonderful, beautiful, transformational things from Your Word. We need Your help. The psalmist said, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. So we pray that You would build us up in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You ever been in a situation where um, someone has been super helpful to you in purchasing a product? They answered all your questions when you when you called them. They were ready to answer. They were responsive, attentive. But once the sale goes through, they're awol. Like you can't get a hold of them for any reason. Uh, sometimes it's difficult. To see things through from beginning to end. Or what about that, that, um, that friend you have who has the most amazing ideas? I mean, she is a dreamer and uh, always getting things started, but rarely finishes those great ideas. Uh, sometimes it's hard to see things through from beginning to end. What about that huge project at work? You guys are like 90% finished with the project, 
and there is uh, one perfectionist in the group who keeps wanting to make changes, or there's that one engineer that keeps coming back with suggestions, and you can't get across the finish line. There is something powerful about seeing things through from beginning to end. And that's really part of the message that I want us to think about this morning from Philippians chapter 1. I want us to see joy in the journey from beginning to end. Joy in the journey from beginning to end. And from the outset, that's Paul's message. It's his memory, his confidence, his hope, his prayer with and for the Philippians is that God would enable them and empower them to have joy in the journey from beginning to end. And that speaks to some of our deepest fears, some of the biggest questions that we have in life. How will we make it to the end? Will we have enough gas in the spiritual tank to make it to heaven? And we know that through Jesus Christ, the answer is yes. And think about His promises, some of His promises to us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and last, who was and is and is to come. In the book of Revelation, He describes Himself as, I am the living one who died, and behold, I am alive evermore, and I hold the keys to death and to hell. We can have joy in the journey from beginning to end because of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. And so I want us to think through this passage together in three ways. We're going to look at what it means to be partners in the Gospel, partakers of grace, and abounding in love. So first of all, in verses 3-5, through five, we talk about partners in the Gospel. And I don't know if you've recognized this or seen it, but in the past 10 or 20 years there's been a, a movement in the business world uh, where employees and team members want a work environment where there's collaboration. The old way of a, of a, a, a cubicle farm with all these siloed workers with their heads down, putting out TPS reports all week, that thing is going away and there's a movement toward working together with other people, with collaborating with folks. And collaboration has its own set of challenges and problems, particularly the other people you're working with, right? But there are some things that are special about partnership. So as we think about Paul and his connection to the Philippians, one of the things that stands out is he says in verse 5 that they are partners in the gospel. And the word used there for partnership is taken from the root word koinonia. And it's a New Testament word that means fellowship. It appears uh, first in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. You remember it's describing how the gospel was taking root in Jerusalem. And it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. So Paul uh, points out, he remembers, he celebrates the Philippians and their partnership, their fellowship with him in the gospel. And what's highlighted here in particular is their fellowship, their partnership with him in gospel mission. 
We know from the Great Commission and the Gospels and in the book of Acts, we know that partnership in the Gospel is outward focused. It stands out. It's meant to be shared. The good news of Jesus is meant to be shared. And so, as Paul highlights in verse 5, that they are partners with him in the Gospel, there are several things that stand out. First of all, he highlights their equal dignity in the Gospel mission. Paul doesn't think of himself as the super-Christian. And these... Philippians, these peons, they're, I mean, they're, they're fine, they're Christians, but I'm out here doing the real work. That's not the way Paul thought about ministry, and it's not the way we should think about ministry either. There is equal partnership in the gospel. We are part of the family of God. From the youngest participant to the oldest members, we are part of the body of Christ. We are partners in the gospel. That should shape the way we see and interact with each other. Notice what it says in verse 5. He he celebrates their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. As the letter unfolds, it becomes clear that Paul's not just talking about the union and communion that we have in Jesus, but he's talking about how the Philippians physically, financially, financially, and spiritually supported and encouraged and upheld him in his ministry. Notice what it says, from day one. And you remember from the book of Acts, what happened? Lydia was converted and then she basically said, you're staying at my house from now on, it doesn't matter. No, you can, you can put up a fight, but her home became the hub of gospel ministry in Philippi and the gospel took root and from day one they were partners in the gospel to this very day, it says also in verse 5. They had been faithful partners in the gospel from day one until this day and that's why Paul begins in verses 3 and 4. They're not only partners in gospel mission, they're partners in prayer. Look with me at verse 3. He begins with this overflow of joy and gratitude. Partnership in gospel ministry and mission means partnership in prayer. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for y'all, making my prayer with joy. Let's think about those verses for a second. When does Paul give thanks in every remembrance of them? How often, always, in how many prayers, in every prayer of mine for y'all, how does he make his prayer? He makes it with joy. And so this, this picture is taking shape. You guys remember watching Bob Ross, the painter? And he'd start putting stuff on the, the, the canvas. Sarah Parks loves this guy. And uh, he'd start putting stuff on the canvas, and you're just like, it's just a bunch of splotches. It makes no sense. And then, oh, wow, I see trees. I see a house. I see a mountain. I see a, a valley. And so here, the picture is taking shape. The image is taking shape of Persistent, prayerful gratitude and joy rooted in gospel partnership. 
Dear ones, God grows and builds our joy in the journey from beginning to end as we lean into and embrace our partnership in the gospel, particularly when we think about mission. This, here's one of the things that hamstrings and hampers us from joy in the journey. It's when we lose focus about the things that matter most in this world. It's so easy to get tunnel vision, isn't it? It's easy for us to think that life is primarily about me. It's about my schedule and my plans and my objectives and my goals and my desires. And we get tricked into thinking that the world revolves around us. When we live that way, we're bound to be disappointed and frustrated and outraged more and more. But when we embrace and lean into our partnership in the gospel and our partnership in prayer, then our prayers and our time and our finances and our priorities and our gratitude and our joys and our loves will be reshaped and recalibrated by God's kingdom and His righteousness. And so a few applications, a few opportunities for us to think about our partnership in the gospel is, once again, we have a missions conference in one month. And I want to challenge you to carve out time to be here on Saturday morning and Sunday to hear about and pray for and financially give toward and enter into partnership in the gospel with our missionaries and with each other Partnership in the gospel is global and local. We have small groups starting back up, and it's more than just a meal in someone's home and a time to pray together. We have a partnership to pray with and for each other, to think about our neighbors, to serve the needs of people in our church and in our neighborhoods. We have prayer meeting starting up this week. What a special time to come and humble ourselves and to acknowledge to God, we trust you, we need you, You've called us as partners in the gospel, so you know what we'll do? We'll pray. There's partnership in the gospel. We see it here. Paul highlights it. He celebrates it. But he also goes on to talk about how how they are partakers of grace. And the word here is similar to the word partnership, but it has a little different meaning. It has the same root word of koinonia, fellowship. We are partakers of grace. And so partnership in the gospel highlights mission. Partakers of grace highlights God's unmerited favor. Unearned by us, but earned and offered through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying here when he says in verse 7 that we are partakers with Him of grace, he's saying that the that the ground of the cross is level ground. That we stand by grace. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, women, men, boys, girls, we stand on grace, we rest on grace, we partake of grace. And if we are partakers of grace, what are some of the implications? One is encouragement. In verse 7, he, he remembers how the Philippians had his back. 
And, and you have all been in situations before when you're scared or you're alone or you're overwhelmed and someone comes and stands beside you or someone is with you and you realize they've got my back. And so here, they're partakers of grace and he's encouraged because they stood beside him in his imprisonment and in his defense and in his confirmation of the gospel. They were with him through thick and thin. They didn't bail when things got rough or when standing beside Paul was no longer popular because they were partakers with him of grace. Not only does being a partaker of grace, uh, one of the results or the impact is encouragement, another is confidence. Verse 6, because they were partners in the gospel and partakers of grace, Paul was moved to gratefully, joyfully pray, prayer, grateful, joyful prayer, but also to confidence, to a God-given assurance. Look at verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I hope that gives you joy in the journey from beginning to end. Jesus begins the work. Jesus continues the work. Jesus completes the work. That confidence comes from our union with Christ. And you see, the Philippians didn't have questions about how it started. It started with Lydia and the jailer, and there was explosive growth in depth and width and breadth with the church. They had questions about how it was going. Like all of us, at one point or another in our lives, they wondered if they could make it to the finish line. This verse highlights, chapter 1, verse 6, highlights the Christian doctrine of perseverance of the saints. And in our culture, in our context, in the Bible Belt, it's important to distinguish this concept, this doctrine, from a once-saved-always-saved easy-believism. This verse and the rest of the Bible does not teach that if you pray the sinner's prayer, you, if you only pray the sinner's prayer, you will go to heaven. The Gospel is not fire insurance. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that God's work is based on His Gospel and grace, and since He is working in His children, He will bring the work to completion. We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And you may say to yourself, but what if I fail? What if I fall? What if I blow it? Join the club. You're in the right place. The key is that we keep trusting and keep believing and keep repenting that's the ultimate proof and indication that God is still working in us and through us Sinclair Ferguson points out that the verb used here for bring it to completion is a verb that suggests the idea of putting the finishing touches on something and from our perspective it may seem like it often seems like there is a long, long way to go in growth and holiness. But from another perspective, 
The major part of the work has already been done. We belong to Jesus. We've been redeemed by His blood. Now God is completing His work in us. And having that confidence, remembering this reality, can give us joy in the journey to keep believing, to keep to keep going, to keep fighting our sin. And it also produced in Paul, and it should produce in us, love. We're partakers of grace together. It's encouraging, it brings confidence, and it brings love. All those things are a perfect recipe for love. Paul loved the Philippians. And essentially, he says throughout these verses, I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. It's right for me to feel this way. I don't even care. I hold you in my heart. I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ. Paul's heart is full. His prayers are shaped with gratitude and joy and love. The love of Christ moved and compelled him toward his sisters and brothers in Jesus. And, and the love that he expresses here is almost awkward. You ever been out in public somewhere and somebody is making this big statement that I love you? And uh, it, it's a little awkward and everyone stops and watches and people get embarrassed and they blush. And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. He's like, I don't care what people think. I'm not ashamed of this. It is right for me to feel this way. I love you as sisters and brothers in Christ. Love is a normal part of the playbook for Christians. Love one another. Love one another from the heart. Outdo one another in love. Here's a question for us. How can we grow in our love for each other? How can it grow? Well, through prayer and through reading and through walking with people and serving with them and fellowship Love grows through suffering. Love grows through listening. Love grows through forgiving. Giving one another the benefit of the doubt. Love does not grow in isolation. It doesn't grow when we seek to live siloed lives. We need each other. In fact, love is not the icing on the cake. It's not the lanyard, the little extra. It's part of the core of the gospel message. And we as partners in the gospel and partakers of grace, should express and receive love from God, for God, for one another. And that's really where this passage is going. He talks about partnership in the gospel and being partakers of grace. And what's the goal? That you might abound in love. Look at verses 9-11. through 11. Abounding in love. Paul's hope, his prayer, his desire for the Philippians and us is that we abound, we overflow, we bubble over, we gush with love. And you know when you're making spaghetti and you leave the pot on the stove and, and then you know, it's on high and, and it starts to boil over? And you run in and you turn down the heat so that the, the, the water doesn't go all over the stove. That's not what's what Paul is talking about here. He wants the love to continue 
to overflow like a spring that you cannot stop. His prayer is that the love would abound in us. Love binds us together. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love never fails. What better desire and confidence for Paul and for us than that we and they experience, abound, express love more and more from God for God to and for others. And notice what this love entails. Look at verse 9. So that it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Love is the ultimate um, expression of Christianity. What our lives and the church and our ministry should be measured by. But contrary to what the world says, love is not blind. Christian love is guided by knowledge and wisdom and discernment. We know this because tough love is a thing. Sometimes the most loving thing is to say no. We need wisdom and discernment as we express love. And Paul's prayer is that we would... We, our love would abound and that it would be shaped by knowledge, wisdom, and discernment. Why? So that we can approve what is excellent. Literally, so that we may approve the things that matter. Part of the goal of abounding love with wisdom and discernment is not that we just be nice people that make good decisions, but that we're able to approve what is excellent in this world. And look, the The older I get, and I imagine the older you get, you realize and recognize how complicated life is and how much we need wisdom from God and love to approve what is excellent. And notice, it's not just that we make good decisions as nice people. Look at verse 10. So that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The aim and the goal is holiness. Living pure and blameless lives, looking forward in faith toward the day of Christ Jesus with our eye on the prize. Because one day, believers, you will see Jesus face to face. We'll see Jesus face to face. And John reminds us that those of us who have that hope, we purify ourselves now. Verse 11 talks about being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Not just filled with one fruit or one thing, but being filled with the fruit of righteousness. Being complete with all the fruit of godliness. And, And where does it come from? How do we abound in love? Why are we partakers, in the go- partakers of grace and partners in the gospel? Look at this passing statement from verse 11. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the key. Our life is in Christ. So our hope to abound in love is seen and experienced and it's rooted in jesus here's the thing living the christian life is not easy 
We are called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and to follow Him. We're called to put sin to death and to live to righteousness. We're called to serve the poor and the needy and the outcast and the widows and the orphans and to take the gospel message across the street and around the world. And that is hard. And it takes discipline and sacrifice and commitment. It takes giving of our physical and emotional and financial and spiritual resources. Yet we can never forget the source. The source, the motor, the power is from God through Jesus Christ. When we forget that, when we neglect that love with discernment and knowledge to approve the things that matter while living pure and blameless lives in this world, when we forget that the power for that comes through Jesus, one of two things often happens in our lives. One, if we forget the power source Jesus, then we can become lazy, selfish, barely engaged in the pursuit of personal holiness, of body life. We can forget fellowship and forgiveness and scarcely serve others. But the other side of the equation is also true. At the other end of the spectrum, if we are not strongly, deeply, firmly connected to Christ, our power source, we can work and work and work and work in our own strength. And that is absolutely exhausting and it wears us down and it wears us out. And that's where burnout and anger and self-righteousness and entitlement can creep into our lives. We need to learn more and more how to live with and lean into the reality that every part of our lives is powered by Jesus Christ. We need to retune and recalibrate our hearts and minds to this truth and it will give us joy in the journey from beginning to end. So, what's the key? What's uh, at the heart of Paul's message here? As he's beginning his letter to the Philippians, the message is Jesus. Jesus is the key to joy in the journey from beginning to end. So two questions as we close. Do you know Jesus Christ? Not do you know about Him, not do you know facts about He lived 2,000 years ago and the type of miracles that he performed. Do you know him personally? Young people, adults, maybe you're here for the first time. Do you know Jesus Christ? Are you a partner in the gospel and a partaker of his grace? And is his love abounding in your life? Because if not, the message of the Bible is clear. He offers you full, free forgiveness, eternal life by grace through faith. And if you have questions about what it means to really be a Christian, what it really means to follow Jesus and and to know Jesus, almost anyone in this room would be happy to talk to you about it. I'd be glad to share what the love of Christ is about. And here's the reality. Without Jesus, there is no joy in the journey now, and the future involves judgment and hell. There is only one name under heaven whereby we must be saved. Do you know Jesus? And if you know Jesus, are you walking with Him? 
those of us who wrestle with lack of joy or who feel stuck in the journey like the car has broken down on the side of the road, ask, seek, and knock, and pray that Jesus might meet with you and walk with you and carry you. Remember, because of Him, we can be partners in the Gospel, partakers of grace, and we can abound in love. And He has promised to be with us from the beginning to end, and He has promised to complete the work in us. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. Keep trusting. Keep believing. And He will carry us home. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for your word and uh, how this message to Christians 2,000 years ago from the Apostle Paul still speaks powerfully into our hearts and lives. Help us to trust in you, Lord. Help us to lean on you. Change us and transform us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. close our service this morning by singing yet not I but through Christ in me and after we get done singing I'll pronounce the benediction we'll have a time of fellowship and coffee and then at 11 love for you to stay for Sunday school we're going through a new series here uh, in adult Sunday school about uh, six steps to reading the Bible so we all need help with that so that begins at 11 let's stand and sing